And hello there, Peter Mansbridge here. You are just moments away from the latest episode of The Bridge. Today, the voice and the face of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Are you still trying to find ways to get into the world of crypto? Well, look no further. BitBuy is Canada's number one platform for buying and selling Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. BitBuy has launched a brand new app and website with a new look, lower fees, and new coins. BitBuy is your one-stop shop to get involved and super easy to use for beginners. Visit bitbuy.ca or download the BitBuy app. Enter referral code PODCAST20 to get $20 free when you make your first deposit. Hello there, Peter Mansbridge here uh, in Toronto today. A couple of days away from Stratford as I've got some work to do on an upcoming documentary. So I'm here in Toronto. If the sound is a little different, that's because it's Toronto sound. Okay, today we start off a little story. It was 15 years ago now. Can you believe Sidney Crosby's been playing for 15 years in the NHL? Sid, the kid, gosh, I remember the first time I met him for two reasons. One, I had my son, Will. You know Will. He works on this program on occasion when he gives me a few minutes to help in the production end of things. Um, So Willie was, I think, five or six years old, and uh, he came with me to do the interview. It was in Ottawa. Um, And... So it was a thrill for him. He was already playing, you know, Tim Hortons or whatever in hockey. And uh, Sidney Crosby was the biggest name in hockey. Then, still is for a lot of people right now. Anyway, we got to do this interview, and I'd never met Sid Crosby before. And he arrives. We were doing the, uh, the interview in one of those suites above the ice in Ottawa's arena. And he arrives, he walks in the door with his dad. So he was with his dad, and I was with my son. Anyway, he had with him a Pittsburgh sweater, hockey sweater, in his number, 87. And at that point, he was an assistant captain. So it just had an A, not a C. And he'd signed it for me. So he gives me the sweater, and I said, geez, you didn't have to do this. It was very kind of you. And he said, well, you know, I, I used to watch you when I was small. And I thought, what? He's a news junkie? And I said something like that. And he said, no, no, no. You used to get in the way of all the hockey games <laughs> during the Stanley Cup. And boy, have I heard that a lot during my career. Um, when I was anchoring the National, of course, just like Today, you know, the national gets delayed because of the Stanley Cup. But we'd have a little insert in the intermission between the second and third periods where I'd kind of give the headlines of the day's news. <laughs> a lot of hockey fans didn't like that. They just wanted hockey talk. And I guess Sidney Crosby was one of those. But the way he said it, you know, I, you know, I used to watch you. Oh, really? You're, you like the news? No, 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 you used to get in the way of the hockey game. <laughs> I loved it. Anyway, which brings me to today's topic, which is not Sidney Crosby, and it's not the National getting in the way of 
the Stanley Cup. It's actually about the Stanley Cup in this peculiar year of hockey. Peculiar because of the pandemic, of course. But listen, I'm a hockey fan, have been since I was a kid. So I, you know, in spite of what some people used to say about me getting in the way of hockey, I used to watch the hockey all the time, including in the studio. Sometimes I was doing the national be on a monitor at the side. So hockey is a part of us, right? Whether you like hockey or not, it's kind of a part of being Canadian. And this time of the year is always special because of the Stanley Cup, especially if there's some Canadian teams that are doing well. And we're about to find out how well they do. Anyway, I wanted to talk a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit and not sort of jock talk, but talk about hockey and its kind of place in the country, especially this year as a result of the pandemic. Because if you follow hockey at all, you know things have been very different. You know, from no fans in the arenas to the uh, way they've rescheduled the divisions in the National Hockey League. And you only play within your division. And then during the playoffs, things move forward. Anyway, so I wanted to talk about that, what it's done to hockey whether hockey's really still the same game as it was even a year ago as a result of the changes that had to be made. So who are you going to talk to? Well, there are a lot of really good hockey experts out there, and many of them are friends of mine, and some of them have been on the program before. But at this time of year, there's one person who kind of stands above everybody else. If for no other reason than he's on the air every night, and we listen to his wit and charm and expertise and knowledge. And that, of course, is Ron McLean at Hockey Night in Canada. So I called Ron yesterday and I said, you got 10 minutes? And he said, absolutely. So here's our conversation. So, Ron, it was a peculiar year for everybody, and no less so in uh, in the NHL. And now we're into the playoffs. But as we get into it, what, what do you think we we learned about hockey this year, given the you know the, the the extraordinary nature of the way the schedule played out and and the way the players had to put up with some you know difficult times. Well, Peter, there's so many uh, levels to this. One is crowds, of course. Uh, we did the bubble playoffs a year ago, and there was tremendous lighting and energy created by the audio engineers. But this time through the regular season, it was more limited, and I felt we really missed the fans. And in the first weekend of the Stanley Cup playoffs, you surely noticed how important the fans are to the experience. So that was fantastic. And um, I mean, you have divisional playoffs for the first two rounds where you had teams who faced each other nine to ten times. And familiarity is clearly breeding contempt, which is great, and coaching, which means close games. So I think we learned all that. And But lastly, I go back to what I said uh, a year ago when Tampa won the Cup. 
Steven Stamko stepped in after missing seven months, played five shifts, three minutes, scored one of the biggest goals of the final. You saw what Kucherov did last night. Uh, I think of Sidney Crosby returning from his concussion after the Olympics in 2010. He missed basically two years, 61 regular season games. He stepped into his first game against the Islanders and scored four points, two goals, first star. Uh, I saw Tyler Sagan come back from double hip surgery after missing seven months and score a really meaningful goal. And I think it's encouragement to all of us that are going through this ridiculous uh, year and a half uh, that's been so trying um, to just remind ourselves that with the foundation of all that we are, we're going to be okay. Is the game any different than it was, you know, <laughs> what, what do we say before pandemic BP? Is it any different? No, I, I don't think it is. And that's also a lesson that I gleaned from uh, a year ago was that in the end, the Stanley Cup felt extremely real. And the first weekend of it has felt extremely real. You know, Glenn Gould predicted that there would be no live performing. He hated that, uh, you know, perhaps the entertainer, the musician panders to the audience or gets out of itself or himself or herself in order to win and curry favor with the crowd. Um, I always remember seeing uh, Bruce Springsteen at Massey Hall do an acoustic set without the E Street Band. And he began singing and we all started clapping along and he says, hold it just, just a second here. <laughs> you know, you don't need to clap. I know how to keep time. And I'm thinking, well, hold it. You're the greatest uh, showman of them all. And I'm, I'm not allowed to participate. Uh, Glenn Gould was that way. He said, you know, uh, just give me the purity of, of excellence and perfection. And that's all he wanted. He, he felt that the definitive version of the song was the one created in the studio. And that's how I feel about the hockey is inside the glass. McDavid has been McDavid, with or without 16,000 fans. Having said that, uh, David Byrne had the great quote, you know, the talking heads. He said, I love a good story. And sometimes I love to just stare at the sea. Do I have to choose between the two? (laughs) So I think with or without crowds, uh, the game hasn't changed a whole lot. I think uh, there probably is not a player in the NHL who wouldn't have minded you comparing them in some uh, in some way to glenn gould and to bruce springsteen so <laughs> right. good, good for you you'll you'll get marks for that no doubt um the what i find interesting uh that has happened as a result of what they had to do to actually get a schedule up is the split in divisions and i you know obviously i'm particularly interested in 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 the canadian one and you know i think it's great I mean, I, I think as the way it has just happened to play out in terms of where the final standings in the Canadian division were, we have now this, you know, Western playoff series and we have an Eastern playoff series. It's kind of like the old mm. way they used to play the Great Cup, right? Right. The, the East versus West in a, you know, in a real way. Um, but is this a once in a lifetime thing? Sadly, it is. And, and, you know, it's too bad we had COVID intervene. Uh, It really created problems for Montreal. I mean, they got off to a gangbuster start and then a COVID shutdown really affected them. And for sure, the Vancouver Canucks. See, the problem always was for Vancouver, uh, this east-west alignment meant they were traveling out of their time zone all the time. Really hard on the Canucks. And uh, and they could point to that going forward and saying, look, we love it. It's great for the ratings. Uh, Everybody appreciates uh, the Canadian rivalries. But for us... I mean, it's a no-go. We just, it's not fair to our compete uh, to have this travel. So that that's the problem. They're going to revert to the old system next year. But I, I did love it. Um, and I do think the fact, uh, there was a little bit of fatigue in the, in the eight, nine, ten meetings between the teams. But I attribute a bit of that to no crowds. Had we had just a little surge of, of the live audience uh, toward the end of it, 
I think it would have been fantastic. You're right, though, about the, the frequent playing has breeded a degree of contempt in certain certain uh, situations where certain players are, uh, you know, looking at the, the, the other team in a, in a certain way. And it's not about dipsy doodling around them. It's it's about going straight through them. So it, sure. it's provoked that kind of arrangement between the teams, too. And it reminds me also of uh, of our history, the Winnipeg Jets playing Edmonton. It used to be that Winnipeg had six 30-goal scorers, but they could not get past Gretzky and Messier. <laughs> and now they've got this, if you were to ask any expert, I think the deepest six forwards in the NHL belong to the Winnipeg Jets. Unfortunately, there's McDavid and Dreisaitl coming their way. So that's fantastic. And then over on the other side, you know, 42 years, you and I vividly remember what it was like in the 70s when the Marner and Matthews was Lanny McDonald and Daryl Sittler. And the, and the Habs, what maybe people don't remember about Montreal and Scotty Bowman, because that's a, they remind me a little of the way Chicago imploded. Uh, they lost Ken Dryden and Scotty Bowman the next year, 1979-80, Montreal having won four in a row, Stanley Cups. They they almost had 350 goal scorers. They had, I think it was Pierre LaRouche came within uh, three of getting to be the other 50 goal marksman. Lafleur and Lamar had hit 50. Uh, but that was actually their demise. They got away from what had made them great. The Bob Ganey, uh, the Doug Reisbrow, the Mario Tremblay, the Yvonne Lambert, they were all checkers. Nobody checked like the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, and then Lafleur added some color and maybe Steve Shutt. But yeah, that that uh, was a great time in hockey, as you know, the late 70s. And it was a time when the game had also gone through a, a transformation. By the way, Peter, I so loved when you were doing the viewer mail, uh, I don't know, two, maybe three weeks ago now, when you had a colonel from London, Ontario, speak about the difference between transactional and transformational leadership. You remember that? Right, right. Oh, my God, it was good. He was just discussing how the military can't work uh, with a transaction as its basis. You know, I'll give you X, you give me Y. Right. It has to think about the greater good or the greater. And, and that's what Montreal was was in the 70s. We had the Broad Street bullies kind of running amok and and no offense to Don, but the big bad Bruins, you know, there, there was a way to intimidate your way to a title and the Habs got us around that with uh, with the flower. So it's a very fond memory that we'll rekindle having a Habs play the Leafs. Yeah, well, you know, there's been a lot of attention to that and, and I'm glad you, you talked about the Jets Oilers series because that's going to be a great series and it has a tradition and a basis to it as, as you explained. Sure. Um, yeah. But the Leafs-Habs thing you know somebody told me i don't know whether it's true but somebody told me that the montreal had a game last week or the week before last where there wasn't a single quebec born player on their team hmm. for that game uh which also tells us something i guess about the way the game has changed and the way uh, you know certain traditions have changed i mean uh, you know you mentioned don he used to rant not that long ago about how the fact that leafs didn't have any players from ontario Right. Now they've got a he lot of right. players from Ontario, right? Yeah, because he felt, especially the team coming in, Buffalo loaded up. They had 10 Toronto or Ontario-based uh, players, uh, and they came in with all their moms and dads in the crowd, and uh, they put on a show. So it was very difficult. And Brian Burke ref- referenced it when he felt his team fell off a cliff, you know, like an 18-wheeler driving over the cliff. Uh, he realized that they lacked uh, the Toronto. Now, having said that, they've been drafting again the Leafs mm-hmm. away from Ontario. They But they certainly brought in, in order to try and get over the hump here, they brought in all Ontario guys, whether it was uh, Felino or Simmons or Thornton or Spezza, these are all GTA or Ontario kids who will supposedly give them that catalyst uh, with the talent that they have to get further into the playoffs. What's your uh, but, take but on Serge that? Savard, sorry to interrupt, but Serge, yeah. he, that was the thing he did, uh, Peter, when he came in and took over Montreal. 
kind of the end of the heyday for the Habs was Serge immediately went for Francophones, uh, Quebec based players, because he knew that on the golf course that summer, they would be held accountable. Uh, he really believed in Patrick Roy. He gave him the start as a kid. He, Claude Lemieux got a prominent role. And he built the team uh, with an emphasis on Quebec-based players, and they ended up winning in 86 and 93 because of it. And that, and that the lesson had been they had drafted Doug Wickenheiser, uh, not uh, Denny Savard, and they should have gone Savard is what Serge felt. Just a, a quick one on the on the point of the, the Greybeards. You mentioned them all on, on the Leafs team. Has that paid off this year? I think undeniably. I, I still think, you know, that, that you're going to win with your one-two down the middle. That's I always kind of look at Kopitar and Carter in the Los Angeles, uh, you know, two cups in three years. Jonathan Taves is interesting because he, he actually went to Stanley Bowman, the manager there, and said, we're not big enough to take on Kopitar and Carter. Can you bring me somebody? I love Andrew Shaw, but he can't be in the two-hole as our center iceman. Uh, so they brought in Brad Richards for their third attempt, uh, who was bigger, not by any means a monster on the ice, but but just big enough to handle the checking of Kopitar or Carter. And so for Toronto, their one-two punch is obviously Tavares and Matthews. And this gives, you know, everything is about them uh, and how they distribute and how they check. Uh, but these other guys will keep it even keeled. You know, they've seen and done it all. And I think, you know, that's where, or sorry, where Edmonton got into a bit of uh, a pickle. They have the same, if not a better one-two punch, I guess you would say a better in McDavid and Dreisaitl than Toronto. But they, they had signed all the kids, you know, they had Taylor Hall and Jordan Eberle and Nail Yakupov. And it just was continually coming down the pike that they were bolstering their lineup with talent. But it was all young talent who hadn't seen and done it all. And anytime there was a moment of adversity, it was like too much. You've set us up great uh, for what's to come, and especially in these first two uh, series, the Canadian series. I, I'm calling, by the way, when the East plays West, I'm calling that the real Canada Cup. That the right. North Division Championship, that's going to be something else. It's going to have the whole country talking, you know, in many ways. But I want to close on this because you mentioned a name which immediately made me think of another name. Um, and that's when you mentioned uh, Doug Wickenheiser. Uh, hmm. And we think of Haley. Isn't it and great? It, 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 her story is remarkable. Over the weekend, she, you know, she passed the final exam. She's a doctor now. So mm-hmm. she's a doctor. <laughs> she's a, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, female hockey player on the, on the planet. Um, and she's what? She's Isn't she part-time coaching for the Leafs as well? In, in, she's in just got a fashion? promotion. She's now been made the uh, head of player development for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and they're bringing in Danielle Goyette, who'd been coaching at U of C, uh, to be on the Leafs staff with Haley. Uh, you know, Peter... I don't even know where to begin on that story because she's, first of all, she's a two Olympian uh, athlete. She did the uh, summers as a softball player and competed in Sydney, Australia in 2000, obviously five-time Olympian on the winter side uh, to do her med studies, to be on the front lines and telling all her colleagues who were, I mean, they were at the breaking point a month and a half in, never mind a year and a half in. And she would always tell uh, for the sake of sustainable high performance, she would always tell her colleagues, this is our Olympics. We have to treat this like our Olympics. Dr. Cal Botterill always said, you know, to be part of the future is to have inner peace. That's the way you deal with it, uh, is knowing that you're having a huge role to play in the future. And that gives you such meaning that that you'll be able to sustain. But Haley's that. And she was inspired, Peter, by uh, living in Shaunavan, Saskatchewan, just tucked away in a corner of the prairies. 
she was inspired by the torch relay headed for Calgary in 88. And she begged her parents, uh, you know, as I said, she could play every sport, but she wanted to get to Calgary. The only tickets they could get were to see the ski jumping. So her inspiration would be kind of like your inspiration, England, Eddie, the Eagle. Uh, so <laughs> she, she's just beyond the pale, what she has accomplished, uh, you know, in medicine and sport and yeah. Really and, nice to and, see, and, 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 and they're related, of course, Doug yeah. and Haley, and and in life too, right? I mean, we, we both know her. You know her, uh, you know, much better than I do. But what a, just a really down to earth, good person, you know, in spite of all the other things that she's got on her mantelpiece. Well, down, and one last thing about that, person. you know, you're you're a great uh, dad. Uh, you know, I, I know you put up with Will drumming, let alone everything else. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but if, and that's because you love Ringo Starr, so there was a, probably a purpose in it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, she, I'll never forget in 2002 when Canada finally got its Olympic gold, and then they've won several since. But uh, she and Noah, her boy, were on the ice together, you know, with the Canadian flag draped. And I think of Iserman going out to receive the cup from Gary Bettman in 2002 with his daughter Isabella. And even if you go back to 67, when the Leafs got the Habs uh, and their last Stanley Cup, George Armstrong went to center ice to receive the Stanley Cup from Clarence Campbell with his son, Brian. And Brian, George's boy, helped lift that Stanley Cup. So Haley is that too. She's a, she's a great parent in addition to all we said. Listen, Ron, I know you got lots of work now. And uh, I'm exhausted. You're, all, you're always a busy guy, <laughs> but for the uh, for the next uh, couple of months, you're going to be uh, you're going to be very busy. So I look forward when we can uh, get out on the golf course again at some yes. point and uh, yeah. and and t- tell some tall tales. But listen, this was great. I really appreciate you doing this. Take care. Me too, Peter. Now, really, seriously, can you imagine? sitting down with anybody else to talk about hockey and you manage to bring in Glenn Gould into the conversation. <laughs> That's Ron McLean with this photographic memory too, right? I, I've worked with Ron in different parts of the world doing Olympic broadcasts and you know, he, he's not looking at notes. It's all in there. It's all in his head. He remembers these things, and he can pull quotes and, and memories and, and things out of nowhere. And uh, it's always remarkable to talk to Ron. So I appreciate his time, especially in the busiest time of year for him. Uh, we're going to take um, we're going to take a little music break, <laughs> very little music break, um, and then right after it, we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics. And that, of course, is the airline business. Peter Mansbridge back again with um, the final segment of The Bridge. And after talking hockey, we're going to talk airlines just for a second. And we're going to hook it up to the, uh, the issue of the pandemic. Um, because we have kind of followed the travails of the airlines over this past uh, year and a few months as passenger traffic absolutely plummeted. No surprise there. And is it slowly coming back? Well, yeah, it appears that it is in parts of the airline business. Certainly, it's starting to happen in uh, the U.S. It's starting to happen in parts of Europe. 
that's a long way from normal as normal used to be, but it is coming along. In the States since March 11th, the Transportation Security Administration, reading here from Huffington Post, has screened more than a million passengers every day. On May 2nd, just, what, two weeks ago, that number exceeded 1.6 million for the first time since March of 2020. But as people ease back into flying, there are still lingering questions about the risk involved in spending time on an airplane especially now that airlines have ended their middle seat blocking policies. Remember at the beginning, when nobody was flying anyway, they didn't put anyone in middle seats. So you had some social distance from other passengers if there were other passengers on those planes. There were times, there were times, and I heard from friends who had to fly, that they were the only people on the plane. Like there was no one else on the plane. So I'm sure they felt pretty safe. Now, I think you gotta you gotta keep in mind that airplane airplane travel is pretty safe. You know, it's one of the safest ways to travel. It was before the pandemic. You know, there's always the fear of an accident of some kind. But really, when you consider the millions and millions of miles that were being flown by commercial airliners every day with no accidents. That's a pretty safe way to travel. Used to be the term, flying an airplane safer than walking. Well, the concern, of course, in the last year has been, what's the air like in the plane? What's air circulation? And as a result, the question that comes up every once in a while about air travel, where's the best place to sit on a plane? Is there a preferred seat above all others? when it comes to this question of air circulation. Well, keep in mind for starters that airplanes generally have these filters on the on the movement of air within the plane. HEPA filters, high efficiency particulate air filters. And they circulate a mix of fresh and recycled air and minimize exposure to contagious droplets. Now, I'm looking at this article in the Huffington Post, and it's, you know, it's not bad. Um, here's the, the only issue about HEPA filters, and this can make you make a decision about whereabouts on the plane you want to sit. Because as you know, there's a lot of time spent, not in the air, but on the ground in airplanes. When you first board, the amount of time it takes to get everybody else on board and then the you know the getting ready to move away from the um what do you call it the entrance gate the boarding gate when you get to moving away from that to when you taxi out onto the get towards the runway that can take up a considerable amount of time and some of that time there's no filtration system on when planes aren't in the air, that same filtration system we were just talking about a moment ago isn't necessarily running, certainly when you're at the gate. So you may not have the same level of air circulation the way you do during the flight. So that can make you conscious of where you are sitting. There was one airline that for a while anyway, uh, United, 
was running their air filtration system the whole time. You know, they'd hook up to auxiliary power at the gate and they'd run it all, all the time. That's expensive. So where do you sit, given that? And given other reasons on the plane? Most experts believe the bigger COVID-19 risk in air travel comes from the time before you even board the plane, thanks to things such as dining at airport restaurants, queuing on board, waiting on a crowded jet bridge. And that can be, that can be a real pain, both getting on and getting off when you get stuck in that line that people are trying to rush. Anyway, get to the point, Peter. Where to sit? Some airlines responded to the COVID-19 pandemic by keeping all those middle seats empty on their flights. But those days are over. Nobody, I think Delta was the last one to no longer block middle seats. So the window seat is judged to be the safest place to sit compared to an aisle seat as you do not have other passengers walking past you at close proximity. Also, choosing a seat near the back of the plane. Now, this is unusual, right? It's not usual that you'll have people say, go to the back of the plane. Because the back of the plane, certainly with some aircraft, certainly at altitudes where you're engaged sometimes in some bumpiness, the back of the plane is not a pleasant place to be sitting. Kind of waves around back there. That may be too strong a description, but you know what I mean. The window seat, say the experts, is the safest option due to the direction of airflow within the cabin. Another way to potentially reduce risk could be splurging or cashing in your points. You get a lot of points. They do tend to build up fairly quickly, especially with the addition of uh, points accumulated on credit cards. And so this advice is use those points now. Don't save them for some faraway holiday you might take. Use them now and bump up to business class where there's more room, more space, more likelihood that you're going to be distant from other people. I don't know. Do you want to do that? Do you want to burn off those points now? Or do you want to save them for that, you know, holiday in Barbados? We can dream. Make efforts to distance distance yourself from others. For example, by limiting carry-on baggage, checking in online, and avoiding crowding into a line while boarding or deplaning. That's that same point again. Stay away from the lines. The importance of washing and sanitizing hands when touching airplane surfaces and trying not to eat or drink during your flight. Why? There's nothing wrong with the food but you have to keep taking your mask off. And on airplanes still, masks are a requirement. You have to wear a mask, even in this uh, time of widespread vaccination. Minimize your time in airports. 
airports can get crowded. And so can the spaces within airports, you know, like dining areas, areas where you're sitting next to a lot of other people waiting for the plane to come to your gate. Anyway, most of this is self-explanatory, but I don't know what I took from it. Window seats. And some people hate window seats. They don't like the idea of looking down. I love them. I love window seats, so that's not a big change for me. But I will keep in mind this issue about getting on and getting off the plane and not being in that crush to do either. You know, we sometimes think, man, we can, you know, I can save 90 seconds by getting up fast and, you know, rushing through in the line to get out. I think I'll just sit and wait the next time and wait as long as I can before I get on the plane. That can cause problems, obviously. You don't want to cause problems. All right, a little tip. little tip about air travel. We're going to wrap it up. Tomorrow is Smoke Mirrors and the Truth. The Radish Farmer getting ready. Don't know what we're going to talk about, but we always find something. And we'll look forward to doing it tomorrow. So enjoy your day. The heat has hit southern Ontario. It's supposed to go up to like 27 or 28 by this afternoon. 29 maybe tomorrow. Summer's here. For a moment anyway. Let's see how long it lasts. All right. Watch Ron McLean tonight. Think Glenn Gould when you see him. <laughs> we'll talk tomorrow. I'm Peter Mansbridge. Thanks for listening to The Bridge. Enjoyable as always. If you got anything to say, drop me a note. The Mansbridge Podcast at gmail.com. The Mansbridge Podcast at gmail.com. We'll talk to you again in 24 hours. Mm-hmm.